on this episode of the LP Literature in Practice. There has always been some resistance to teachers and attempts to control what they're doing in the classroom. So your project is about black teachers? I said, it's about black teachers, but it's also about all teachers. Teach the students who want to learn. Doesn't mean that you leave out everyone else, but for those students, start there. When I was a kid, if you wanted to shorten my attention span, you started a sentence with back in the days. Fast forward a few decades later, I'm the back in the days guy now. I'm that guy in my family. I'm that guy with the students I support. And now I'm that guy professionally, as I am fascinated by what educators of color historically have been able to do in this country, despite deep and consistent obstacles. There are some powerful books written about this subject. If you got time, check out episode two. But I want to talk about a different type of text regarding this topic. I want to talk about a database, a database of oral histories, a database of oral histories from civil rights and post-civil rights era black educators and students from back in the days where we can honor and retrieve mindsets and skill sets for providing grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful instruction. I got the opportunity to build with Professor Derek Allridge, who leads the project for this database of oral histories aptly called Teachers in the Movement. Join us as we dive into the past to pour into the future. This is the LP. Welcome folks and fam, ladies and gentlemen of all walks and talks to the LP podcast, Literature in Practice, where we take a look at texts and practices that encourage student instruction to be more grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful. And today's guest is Professor Derek Allridge. He is professor for the Social Foundations of Education program at the University of Virginia. His areas of scholarship include African-American educational and intellectual history, and the civil rights movement as a whole. He is the author of a few books, The Educational Thought of W.B. Du Bois and Intellectual History. Uh, he's also a co-editor and author of Message in the Music, Hip Hop History and Pedagogy uh, with James B. Stewart and V.P. Franklin. And he's also a co-editor of the recently released book, The Black Intellectual Tradition, African-American Thought in the 20th Century, uh, with Cornelius Bynum, and he's also the author of an abundance of articles and an abundance of important academic journals. And what we're going to be diving into more in depth today is his director role of the project called Teachers in the Movement, which is a really fascinating collection and library of interviews, podcasts, and resources that explore firsthand accounts of how educator activists experienced school during Jim Crow and how they handled instruction, curricula, and community work during the civil rights movement. So everybody, without further ado, Derek Allridge. How's it going, good sir? It's going great, man. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited about this. Looking forward to it. No, no, we're looking forward to having you, and I'm looking forward to learning a lot more. Diving into the Teachers in the Movement Library had already been a fascinating and, and professionally fulfilling thing to do. Um, along with reading some of your texts. So I'm looking forward to learning more through the conversation. And I hope uh, listeners are going to experience the same. I know I'm going to learn. Hopefully listeners will learn too. Before we get deeper into our conversation, what was your favorite text as a kid, if you had one, and as an adolescent, if you had one? And then what was your favorite text as an adult, if you currently have one? 
Okay, well, thanks. I have to think about that. I had so many texts growing up that I liked as a kid or a small child. I really was into science fiction and as well as fantasy. And I think the book that most influenced me and really, really pushed me to become a writer and author would be J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit, I think I was like uh, maybe in the sixth grade or something. It was very difficult to push through it, but I had a lot of help from my mother, who was a first grade school teacher and who really emphasized the importance of reading and writing. So that book had a, a great impact on me in terms of, you know, me thinking about one day being an author. If I move on to my adolescence, the book that had the greatest impact on me and that I really uh, like, and I still read it every few years now, is Alex Haley's The Autobiography of Malcolm X. Not mm. a beautifully written book, but that was the book that really introduced me to African-American history and the study of African-American history. Because growing up, we, you know, we heard all of these stories about Malcolm X being this radical and being on the margins of you know, the Black experience. And after reading that, I learned that that, was, that couldn't be further from the truth. I really embraced that book and I assigned it in my classes here at UVA. And as an adult, the book that has had the greatest impact on me that I really like a lot is uh, James Anderson's book, The Education of Blacks in the South, 1860 to 1935, published in 1988. And that book, I mean, if anyone who studied Black education knows this book. I mean, it is a classic. It's a seminal work. I learned of this book when I was, when I entered graduate school uh, back at Penn State in 1993. And I was introduced to it and I carry it around all the time. It's almost like a Bible of sorts for many young people who are studying the history of Black education or Black education in general. Those are the ones that, you know, just, I can just think of off the top of my head. Well, well thank you for sharing. And for the record, folks who are listening to this who are used to us talking about a book or an article, that will be included in this. But I want to push our idea of what a text is because this is this resource is super rich in each interview and each podcast episode is like its own book. I definitely want to make sure that I add that context as we dive in and talk about these libraries of folks giving their uh, testimonies and experiences. Can you describe what this library of people talking about their experiences is designed for? What's its purpose? That's a good question. And I really appreciate you thinking of this set of interviews as a text, because, you know, texts don't have to necessarily be the written word. Texts can be albums, LPs. They can be, you know, websites that have interviews like ours. So mm -hmm. thanks for saying that. But let me just say this. The idea to interview these teachers really in some ways started back in my own youth. I grew up in a church in South Carolina where many of the church members in my little church were uh, educators and teachers, including my mother. And, you know, I heard stories growing up of these teachers who were considered activists by people in our community. They were considered intellectuals, right? I always thought one day we should tell these individual stories. And so you know, that didn't happen then. I was, uh, I think, in high school. But later on, uh, as I began to study uh, the history of the civil rights movement, one of the things that I saw missing was the role that teachers played in the civil rights movement, particularly as um, activists. And that was kind of counter to what I heard growing up in my church and in my community. 
So in 2014, I decided to start interviewing some of these teachers about their participation in the movement. And I found from my preliminary interviews or from a pilot study I did in 2014, that teachers participated in the movement in marches, in protests, but they also participated in the movement by way of their pedagogy. Therefore, in the classroom, they were promulgating ideas of democracy, equality, and freedom. And they were doing so forcefully. In many cases, the students that they taught told us in our interviews with them that they were inspired by these teachers to be engaged in the civil rights movement, or they were inspired by their teachers to you know, be successful in life and to push the black freedom struggle forward. So we had to reconceptualize what we meant by the term activism. And for us, the Teachers in the Movement Project, Teachers in the Movement focuses on teachers who are engaging in activism in the classroom. We know very little about what teachers were teaching in the civil rights movement and the post-civil rights movement, which we start in 1950 and we end in 1980. So that's our demographic. That's, those are the groups of teachers that we've interviewed. And it's been fascinating. Teachers have shared with us not only their stories, but some of them has, have shared with us the materials that they, they use. Believe it or not, some of these teachers in their 80s and 90s still have some of the classroom materials that they used back in the 60s uh, in teaching. And from those interviews and from these classroom materials, we are able to see that they were truly activists in the movement. We have about 50 videotaped interviews on our website, teachersinthemovement.com. And we hope that people will visit that website and use these interviews in their class for the purpose of teaching teachers about the roles that teachers have historically played in social movements, but also look to see how teachers talk during one of the most transformative periods in U.S. history. For folks who are in education today, who come across the Teachers in the Movement library and resources, what action steps would you like folks to take based upon the info they've gathered through that resource? One of the main things I would like them to take away from, we know that teachers are being demonized today in many ways by the public, by politicians, etc. But I would want them to know that teachers have been here before. There has always been some resistance to teachers and attempts to control what they're doing in the classroom. And this certainly took place during the civil rights era, and this is well documented. So how did these teachers overcome these challenges? And what you'll see in our interviews is that when I, when I would ask the teachers this question, you know, how did how were you able to engage your students where the civil rights movement was swirling about you? And they said, first and foremost, we were committed to being good teachers, right? So with that in mind, that gave them the courage and determination to go in and teach the truth. They were truth tellers, right? And so that was very important to them. And so sometimes when I asked them, were you an activist during the movement? They were like, you might call me that, but first and foremost, I was a teacher and I wanted to do a good job, an excellent job. So I hope that teachers will look at it, look at this in these interviews and become inspired, all right, to see that others have done this before them. In some of the interviews, teachers actually talk about who influenced their teaching 
and they actually talked about talk about or discuss some of their pedagogical methods, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that can inform teachers um, as well. Some teachers talk about being influenced by the experiential approach of, you know, hands-on pedagogy. Some of them talk about this kind of culture of caring that was inside of their classroom, right? And some of them talked about, you know, issues of making the lessons relevant to their students, right? Making the lessons relevant to their students. They don't use the term culturally relevant because that term was not a term that they used then, but that's what they were doing. So I just think having an understanding of the history, understanding that others came before you, paying homage to them, but also learning from them is very important. And I think you'll get that from watching our videotaped interviews. You know, when I, when I think about, I think it was Charles, I think his name was Charles Love, maybe, when he was talking about his, he, he was like, oh yeah, segregation wasn't, you know, I didn't have it that bad uh, when I went to uh, school. People would throw things at me and people would do that. Like, I was not that bad when people <laughs> throwing things at you. Right. And even when I think about Jaina, the white educator uh, uh-huh. during this time period, and I have uh, questions about white educators during this time later on. But when I heard her kind of talk about like all the tensions she had to deal with trying to do right by all kids. Right. It was very inspiring and it was very regrounding in terms of like me thinking about what it means to teach during this time period. Most of the teachers that we have interviewed, they stepped up to the plate and were committed to making sure that their students were prepared for a new world that was emerging. Um, you know, some of the teachers told me that they knew that their students would have more opportunities than they had when they were in college or when they were in high school during the 40s or 50s. And one way of preparing them was to make sure that they had a very strong knowledge base in the history of African-Americans, but in history of other people and their other subjects as well. So they, they, they saw themselves as freedom fighters in that way. We did a, um, a podcast docuseries called The Complexion of Teaching and Learning. We kind of went over the, the arc of what it meant to be uh, educators of color uh, since the inception of America. Um, and one of our uh, interviewees to kind of talk about that was Vanessa Siddle Walker. And she talked about like all these people that you mentioned in terms of like them being uh, teachers during the civil rights movement. Um, a lot of these people had teachers during the, 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 the darkest times of Jim Crow, right? But those teachers, uh, to use Vanessa Sino Walker's language, were preparing their students for a world that did not exist yet, right? Like they were still learning civics. They were still learning things about politics and they're still learning things about history that weren't being validated in mainstream society, mm-hmm. but they knew one day it would have to be validated. So they pushed them. And so all these people who are, were activists, the famous ones like, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. And the not so famous, but just as important ones that are captured in this library were taught by these forerunning teachers who, you know, taught about something that just didn't exist at the time. So yeah, it's again, really inspiring to see that lineage. One thing I noticed in how you structured the interviews for teachers in the movement was that you had undergraduate and seemingly like graduate students interviewing education activist elders from that era. How 
can or how do those conversations help people people in teacher prep programs sharpen their thinking about what it means to be a strong teacher? Yeah, I'm glad you um, observed that. It's very important. I was a deliberate decision on my part to make sure that I was not doing all of the interviews. And for that matter, other faculty weren't the only folks doing the interviews. So the people who work on this project are have been undergraduates. We'd had, we've even had some high school students do some interviews for us. And some of them have been aspiring teachers. And we think that's very important for them to, for aspiring teachers to be involved with teachers in the movement as well. And for four summers in a row, we held Teachers Institute in which teachers from the civil rights movement, civil rights era, engage with teachers today about their pedagogy. And our hope is that UVA hopefully will begin to better use these materials or these interviews in their teacher preparation programs, because our focus is really about the art of teaching. It's really about pedagogy. It's no doubt. If I had, you know, you know I went to college in the 80s and I was in a teacher ed program in the late 80s. And um, if I had had these interviews, it would have been It'll, it'll been a game changer for me. A lot of things I had to learn on my own as it pertained to teaching about race or teaching in difficult situations as an African-American person. If I had had these interviews, it would have been uh, it, would, it would have been life changing. And so hopefully our project gives this to a new generation. And I, I should add that these interviews, they're mostly interviews with black teachers. We have also interviewed white teachers in this database is not just for African-Americans. It's for everyone to engage with, right? And so I, I can't I can't stress that enough. I've had a no, number of people who have asked me over the years, so your project is about Black teachers? I said, it's about Black teachers, but it's also about all teachers. What were like some of the overall uh, instructional philosophies that did exist during pre-desegregation and post-desegregation from these teachers that could be applied from any teacher of any era? The one that sticks with me the most is by a guidance counselor who taught in Richmond, and her name is Dr. Laverne Spurlock. And she was asked by one of our teachers at a teaching institute, what do you do? You're trying to teach a class and you're trying to teach them something that's very important something that's extremely important and they're not engaging with you and you're having a difficult time. And she said the thing that she remembered doing was that teach the students who want to learn, right? Doesn't mean that you leave out everyone else, but for those students who really need the information, who want it, start there. And she said, if you do that, other students will see what you're doing. And they will want to be a part of it. That was her experience. And she said, even if you just have to reach one, do that. And you could hear a pin drop in the room when she gave out that advice. So it would be take students where they are and, you know, teach those students and bring the others along. And that was a powerful philosophy. Another was, was to don't just stand in front of the kids and lecture. Engage the children. And she talked about a teacher that influenced her. And the teacher that influenced Dr. Spurlock was a teacher who walked around the classroom and who was in proximity 
with her students, right? And who showed that she cared about the students. So this concept of this idea of caring that the philosopher Nell Nottings talked about was very much a part of the philosophy of these teachers that we interviewed. And I asked some of them, do you know about this philosophy of caring? They said, no, I never heard of it, but that's what we did. The last one would be, is to be an interesting teacher. Push the envelope, push your students and engage them in the lesson, right? And the best way to do that would be, would be to show them how your lessons were impacting them in their time. In other words, cultural relevance, right? In and out of this conversation, we, we've talked a bit about diversity of philosophy and, and practice and diversity of who these teachers were racially, right? It was interesting for me to see and, and listen to Jaina Ursi, I believe her last name was, mm-hmm. talk about her experience as a white educator who, you know, received the Jim Crow education and then taught during the civil rights era. It was interesting to hear her talk. So I, I did want to ask you, because we talked about it being for all people, right? And we're in a educational circumstance now where the majority of uh, students of color that are learning are learning from white teachers. So for white teachers who watch the teachers in the movement interview series, what do you believe they can learn? White teachers in particular who teach children of color, what do you think they can learn from this series about teaching and learning for students of color? Yeah, I think that's a great question. A few years ago, I had a former student of mine email me, and uh, she told me that she was teaching in a predominantly Black school. She was white, and she said that she felt lost. She said that she had had no experience in teaching in a uh, predominantly Black setting. She had had very few courses in African-American studies or African-American history, and that it was very difficult. That was before I had teachers in the movement. I, w- I could have you know, uh, said, Come, go check out some of those interviews. But what I think white teachers could learn, or all teachers for that matter could learn from here, is that these teachers were all in. So if you listen to the white teachers, they came to know the students well. They interacted with the black community. They interacted with the black parents. You know, I've interviewed some of the students of some of the white teachers and they would tell me, oh, we didn't even look at this person as being a white teacher. We saw them just as our teacher. Now, they would say at first they saw him as a white teacher. But once the teacher began to engage them, listen to them, come to visit their families, engage in the community, they no longer viewed them as white teacher. They just viewed, they just viewed them as their teacher. So I think community engagement is something that you get from these interviews. Let's look at it in reverse as well, right? So what about these black teachers who, after desegregation, taught in predominantly white schools? How did these black teachers engage these white students? And how did the white students react to black teachers? It's something that has come up in our interviews as well. There's a woman we interviewed in Danville. One of our very first interviews, Johnny Fullerwinder. And she was the first black teacher at George Washington High School in Danville. I think it was in 1966. And she met some resistance from the white students when she got there. 
and some little resistance from white teachers as well. She was the only black teacher there her first year. But I remember her telling me in the interview that she told her students, you may not like me, and that's okay, but I'm going to be a good teacher. I'm here to teach you to learn. And she was a very engaging teacher. Um, she taught science, and she engaged her students with experiments, all these kinds of things, kind of hands-on learning. That was her approach. And over time, her students uh, came to really respect her and love her. And over time, over the years, she became good friends with these students after they graduate and with their parents. She was determined that she had to be an excellent teacher. On both sides of it, authentic engagement as a teacher is really important in terms of bridging society-created gaps. The final question I want to ask you is, how do you believe this particular resource can help support folks who want to make instruction more grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful for students? I think just listening and hearing teachers over 50, 60 years ago engage their students at a very trying period in a nation's history can be inspiring. Our country finds itself in a very difficult situation now where, you know, the question of democracy, you know, democracy is on the world stage now and people are interested to know which way this country will go. Teachers are on the, on the ground level with their students. Their, their students are asking them questions, right? How do they respond to these questions? How do they respond to trying to create a more equitable society? Because in my opinion, that's one of the uh, goals of an educator and of the teacher, especially in their classrooms. I would argue that the teachers in the movement project, particularly teachers that we interviewed, ones who taught during the civil rights movement, were promoting these ideals. So I think if teachers today view the interviews, they can learn much from them and, um, and hopefully those interviews will influence how they teach in their classroom and how they look at the world and their role as educators in these very trying times. This spin of the LP with Derek Allridge left me with a few things to reflect on. I'm thinking about how teachers during the civil rights era were intellectual underground railroad conductors. Their movement toward abolition and equity existed in their instruction despite state, federal, and local oppression. This is something we can learn from today. On that note, if we have professional development that includes structured learning experiences from elders and veteran teachers during epic times, we can enrich how teachers show up to become equity-focused instructors. Lastly, when we commit to having a humanity-based lens, Teachers can navigate racial, ethnic, and sociopolitical lines in ways that don't compromise their instruction, but instead can amplify it. With folks like Derek Allridge providing us access to instructional role models, I think this commitment can reach critical mass. LP Collectors, thank you so much for tapping into season one of the LP Literature and Practice podcast. We got to talk with some awesome authors who authored some awesome texts 
all in the support of grade level, engaging, affirming, and meaningful instruction. And we can't wait till season two jumps off, which will be in a few short weeks. And in that time, we ask that you continue to share and like and comment and leave reviews on podcast platforms. And please make sure in the comments, you let us know who you'd like for us to interview next. Thank you so much. We can't wait to offer you an awesome season two. LP Collectors, peace and progress.